Grab a cup of coffee, you can sip with us for an episode of Robe Time, Robe Time Talks. Okay, I have to explain my concert experience with you because I feel like you'll find this funny. Okay, so I, me, my husband, and my sister and her best friend saw Jack Harlow in Chicago. We saw them at, have you ever been to the UIC? Or wait, is it, have you ever been to UIC? Is that how you would say it? University, Illinois, Chicago? Yeah, UIC. UIC. Okay. My dad I don't know if there. I like said that sentence correctly. You did. <laughs> okay. Um, which was interesting because I've never, I feel like all the places I've been to have ever been, or have either been outdoor venues or the United Center. So it was interesting to That's see fair. it from a different kind of like smaller type of place. But so was it in their like auditorium? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Cause I have, I've only been to my dad's office. Okay. Um, Actually, that's a lie. When I was in, like, the seventh grade, I played um, volleyball. There you go. <laughs> Representing. Um, but, yeah, I didn't even know that that was, like, a thing. Yeah. When I asked, I should have, I might, yeah, I must have asked Micah. And he was like, oh, UIC. I was like, what is that? I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Um, but the the group, I guess I'd call them City Girls, opened. Do you know? Okay. <laughs> They were phenomenal. They were, it was like a mix of dancers and singers. So I think there's three main singers and then like four backup dancers. All girls, these women could twerk. They were, that was one of the best parts. Like these women were so badass and it was just very, like I enjoyed it obviously, but it was explicit. The music, it's very, you know, dirty. It's just like that typical WAP kind like they literally play like WAP music, you know, like very. yeah. I look over and there is this older dad just with his obvious like daughter and two friends, and he's like bobbing his head. Oh, so I actually yeah. think he's like of getting into, into it. it. Yes. <laughs> and at one point, I swear, I heard the one girl be like, "Daddy, you don't have to listen. You can just like stop listening." Oh yeah, like I could just stop hearing all these awful <laughs> words like coming to my ear. Anyways, they Amazing. brought people up from the audience at one point to have a twerking contest. What? Yes. It was interesting because they're uh, they're like coming up, like both them and Jack are kind of still like coming up. So they could do like audience stuff like that, which obviously like a Harry Styles or Justin Bieber wouldn't be able, they're too big that it would be it would probably create like mobs and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there was a twerking contest. So much fun. So then Jack comes out, great performer, really enjoyed it. <laughs> so his... Like behind, like this stage, I guess there was a basketball hoop. He's like super obsessed with basketball. Thirty minutes, we did a basketball competition where people from the audience would come up. They had three tries to make a basket, and if they did, they'd get concert tickets. But the entire room was cheering for them. It was the most motivational. Like we were, and then when people wouldn't get it, we would feel so bad. And like every seriously, thirty minutes, which never experienced that at a concert. Weird. And then the last thing I'll say, he literally had a hose and was just whipping. Well, he was hosing people? Oh, my God. I would be pissed. I, I am sorry. I know. My I favorite artist music. ever. Like, I don't even know who that would be. I would never want them to be. No. Sprayed. I showered. I put makeup on. Why do you think everyone would be wet? My phone. Like, my jewelry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that Amazon jewelry. <laughs> I know. It'll turn green. Right <laughs> instantly. <laughs> Oh, and then the other thing. Okay, so I did the most insane workout yesterday, and I really 
I was like, I feel like I'm, oh my God, I can't say it right now. You're going to choke because you're drinking. Okay. I I'm felt ready. like it was me training for the challenge <laughs> because it was literally Every an obstacle uh, course. <laughs> yes. And it's five minutes called the woods and Benton Harbor if anybody's interested, but it's an obstacle course. So you, I think the whole route is five or wait, a 5k. So three miles. But every so often, there's a little um, obstacle you have to do, whether it's like box jumps, burpees. I've never heard of this. I mean, it was so much fun, but it was really hard. I was also with three boys. So, yeah. and I was definitely at the back of the group, which was totally fine because I kept fine. up with them. My hands, there was they like, hurt. I, they're actually fine right now, but they like, this one was starting to like break open. It was so wild, but so much fun. And I honestly like felt like a little kid. Like, Aww. there was this one thing too where, there was a, a rain bucket and you literally had to bring it all the way up to the bell up there and then bring it down. And the one of them was a hundred pounds. I, with my whole body weight, couldn't even like bring it down. I was gonna so say. there was like, for some of them, there was like a woman's one, which normally I would not agree with that, but I was so thankful because there's no <laughs> way I could have done like the other no. actual like super heavy one. Um, but yeah, that was super fun. I had to tell you, I wanted to wait to tell you on the podcast in case anybody that else sounds would like be. A lot of fun. I've never even like heard of something like that. It really was. Yeah. Now you should talk about your beautiful injury. Oh my God. So we went to a terrarium class, which is um, you get a, like a little ball and then you can put an air plant in it or moss and like dried out flowers, Crystals. a crystal. Um, and that's basically it. And then you just like assemble it yourself. We put like little charms on it. It was really cute. It was a fun class. It was at a local winery called Lazy Ballerina. Shout out. Shout out to them. Um, Alexis and- actually modeled for them once. With I did. Husband. Yeah, I did over the summer. Um, I post it all the time on Instagram when they post me because it's no big deal. No big I'm deal. A model. Also really cute. <laughs> I, really, I look pretty good. I looked on good that day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we parked like down the street and it was a pretty windy day outside and my flowers were blowing out of my little terrarium and I was fixing them and I was walking down the street with Gabby in conversation. Yeah. Like in conversation, fixing my flowers, definitely not looking where I was walking. And then I whammed my fucking head (laughs) off a no parking sign they're literally okay so it wasn't that bad but it hurt it was but it was dramatic though it was was so it was a whack it was it was legit whack like you heard it go boom after i hit it and i think i was just such in shock that i wasn't even like i didn't feel the pain and i just like couldn't stop laughing and Gabby was trying to like not laugh to make sure I was okay first and I'm just like hysterically laughing it makes no sense oh it was oh so bad (laughs) yeah then the next morning I wake up and it's like purple rays there was like two little scabs nice raging headache you know yeah I had a headache all day and I was like I feel like I'm maybe a minor condition (laughs) I was like I feel like I'm being a baby because I waxed my no you you really whacked it was so bad but also I'm like not surprised that I did that because I'm me yeah I story of our lives I just like I didn't even see it coming. Like <laughs> I didn't see it either. That's the thing. No, even and I, I feel like you would have been like, "Whoa!" Like what I would have tried to, yeah, get but, you out of the way. But no. yeah, it, it just it came out of nowhere. That was literally a line. Sorry to just go on such a tangent, but it literally came out of nowhere. That was a commercial that we used to listen to at the bank about somebody getting hit by a deer and me and Vicky used to always laugh about it. I'm sorry. I just had to share I don't that. Remember that <laughs> just one. Like in a memory unlocked. I, love it. I think that, that might have been before you. Um, also we're drinking some 
hot toddies minus what is it whiskey you said? yeah whiskey so it's no bourbon. whiskey at least well not after you. i don't know why i said that you're not drinking whiskey either but, <laughs> no um, i have never had one though they are both both alcohol virgies. or with like i've never had one ever yeah in my life. so that's it's pretty, pretty good. good what else in it again um so i made this one with tea so it's blood orange trader joe's team um obviously you need hot water to make the tea <laughs> um then honey lemon and usually some cinnamon sticks but i just put powder yeah that works that works for us so good okay well i feel like our first well first wait so we obviously recorded this a little bit in advance but this week is actually when we dropped our first episode Episode! which was so much fun um and before we get into the episode i just want to thank everybody for reaching out to us. Um, if you did like the podcast, we're on both Spotify and Apple Music. So if you can give us a review, um, anything helps. <laughs> um, we also have an Instagram page, Rope Time Talks, and then we both Follow have us. individual Instagrams. So mine is Gibby Smath, and your what's yours? Alexis Miss Living. Okay, my name. I thought so. I wasn't sure if you had your Twitter handle. No, <laughs> I should. Um, but definitely message us if there's anything you want us to talk about, any tips you might have. We do Only nice things because I, was I will say. <laughs> like, we do we do um accept constructive criticism, but at least be a little nice about it. Yeah. Because we're a little sensitive. But not really. Anything, please um let us know. So what I was going to say was the first few episodes are pretty light and fun, which is the majority of like kind of what we want to do. But then I think another big part is showing a little bit about ourselves, what we've been through, what we've overcome. And let's see, what's today? The ninth. So when this, when this drops, knock on wood, I will have six (laughs) years of sobriety, which is just such an insane thing to be able to say. And especially thinking about where I was six years ago today and just in such a bad space. Um, this is something I've, a story I've always wanted to share and I've kind of shared it before, um, at my church actually, but I've always wanted some way to be able to share it. And so I'm really happy I get to do it on this podcast. Um, this is for literally everybody out there, whether it's you, you have the issue, whether you know somebody, a parent, um, I think the point of me sharing all of this, A, to get some perspective of how somebody can look you know, like they have, everything's fine. Where inside you don't know what they're really going through. Um, and then just showing how me making this one change in my life completely, this is dramatic, but completely made me a different person. Like I was reading my journal from treatment and I was just shocked at how different I am now. So basically it's going to be me talking about my story. Alexis is going to ask any questions if they come up. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll kind of just get into it. Um, I thought I should start with my first experience with alcohol, which is pretty interesting to me because that's something that they talk a lot about. Um, I did go to a treatment center in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I believe it was called, I don't have my thing with me, Lakeview Health. Um, amazing treatment facility. I, I am so fortunate that I was, had the privilege to get to go to a place like that. Yes. Thank you. Lakeview (laughs) Health. It was called the Rose, um, in Florida. Um, I was very lucky to be able to go to such a nice rehab. And that's something I've never taken for granted because I know that so many people don't have that option. So many people just have to go to the closest place. And I was able to literally fly in a plane and go and and get the help I needed. Yeah. And the fact that my family had the means to do that for me is something 
that actually makes me feel guilty about a lot, not anymore, but when I was in early recovery, when I would hear these stories of these people that have had the worst lives you can imagine. And yes, I've had things that have happened, but it it always made me feel guilty that I essentially, my story was essentially easy in my eyes, but at the same time, it's like, it wasn't because there's so much. I also, yeah, yeah. But my first experience with alcohol was really mild, which I feel like normally it's the the stories I was kind of hearing was, oh, I was six years old and I like my, oh, there wow. was a beer and I tried it. And like, there were some crazy stories I heard, but mine, uh, it was really at the end of my freshman year. I kind of always knew I would drink. I didn't mm-hmm. think I so wouldn't. you were like 15 um, or 16? I was probably just about 15. Yeah. Okay. End of my freshman year. And I remember... I, I know I didn't like the taste of it, but it was very like chill. It was like, Do I you had, remember what you tried? I don't remember what it was. Probably like burn nuts or something. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like that's fair. Yeah. It's, yeah. Definitely something that someone probably stole from like their parents or yeah. like, their brother or something. But, yeah. Um, it was my friend's birthday too, but I didn't, you know, you don't really know the first time you drink, like, am I drunk? Like, I don't know. Yeah, you have no you feel weird. It kind of like burns going down and <laughs> It's just a, a weird feeling, but I didn't, I didn't not like it, but I didn't have this whole experience. It was just like, oh, that was my first time doing that. It. And it that was, was just like it. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, I think I would do that again. Um, I drank a little bit my sophomore year, but it was always pretty rare. And I, I would love to hear your feedback on this because if this is, a, if this is like an addict thing, I'll just laugh. Cause it's like, oh, this makes sense. But I remember if we, if me and my friends like knew we'd be able to get alcohol, like say it was like Tuesday and it was like, oh, we're going to be able to drink on Friday. That is literally the only thing I would think of all week long. I would be so excited. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to get to do it again. This is going to be so fun. Uh, I don't think I was like that. You don't? Okay. No. So that, that, I mean, like I was better, excited. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> for like when we were to have parties, but it was never like. Like an obsessive thought. Obsessive with like that I get to drink. It was more of like, oh, I get to hang out with like yeah. my friends and do this activity. Uh, Which activity. is how it should be. People. I don't know why I'm calling it activity. Do this activity this we're activity. doing of drinking <laughs> underage. Doing illegal activities, you know, the, the norm. At 16 years old. <laughs> yeah, but it was never like I get to drink alcohol. It was more of like okay, that's interesting. People. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how other people feel, but that's right. and just, I don't like, necessarily my experience that with think- it that that's like, oh, that means that they're good. But I just think that that's really interesting looking back. Like, man, that difference. I remember being so excited and like sneaking around, like all of that. It was just, it was fun. Uh, quote, fun in my eyes, at least at the, the time. time. Yeah. Um, so it really didn't become an issue, at least I don't think until my junior year. Um, and the okay. thing that's kind of interesting too was it wasn't, there was so many little things that I was like developing that I think were somewhat tied to drinking. So horrible anxiety, mm-hmm. pretty deep depression on and off. Um, my junior year, I accidentally developed an eating disorder. I didn't even realize I did because it was tied with anxiety and depression. I had insomnia. I had ADD, ADHD. I mean, the list goes on. And that was also the year I started taking Adderall, which I will say I think at that time I needed it because I could not focus in class. Something I wrote on my notes is um, hamster wheel. That was my brain. It never shut off. It was this constant, like, it's not like it was voices, but just the thoughts I was like, I almost wonder some days if I have a little bit of OCD because I had this like 
these thoughts that would just race. And I, I, and something too, I thought of today was when I was a kid, I would talk so fast and it was almost like I was emulating what was already kind of in my brain of like, yeah, this hyperactive, yeah, this my hyperactive brain is kind of <laughs> Yeah. It's really hard. And I still deal off. with it. Yeah. And I think I didn't know the healthy way to deal with it. I didn't know how to shut that off. So when I first drank and drank more, it was like, that's how I shut it off. Yeah. I don't have to deal with anything. I go numb. I quote, think I'm having fun. I turn into like, I joke like Giselle, like I'm this alter ego of, I felt confident. I felt hot. I felt like guys liked me. I felt like I could talk to people because normally I was really shy. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> I tell people that and they're shocked, which is so funny because my mom was the exact same way. Very shy as a kid, had all these things that she went through and now is the most outgoing. And that's literally me too. Like we're very similar in that mm-hmm. way. Um, but I had such a fear of talking to people. I hated to be looked at. I also had, I had acne for eight years and yes, it was on and off, but if anybody, you know, has been there, that's one of the worst things and hardest things I think at any time in your life to deal with, because that's what people see when they look at you is, yeah. is this outward like person. And I felt so ugly. My just everything. My confidence was low. I also had a sister who got, to my, in my eyes, got every, excuse me, everything she wanted. Yeah. The prom queen, all the boys liked her, tall, skinny, pretty, like so smart. Just all of these things of like me being like, I'll never be that. Like that's, that's never going to be my story. Um, so yeah, junior year was really rough. <laughs> <laughs> so junior year was a fall. <laughs> I, yeah, I just did a lot of really stupid things. I mean, very personal things that maybe in the future I would share. I mean, I think it would take a a lot lot of grace with myself because I don't regret anything, but I, some of the things I've done, I'm like, Oh God, I hate that I did that. But I also think that there was a reason for it. Um, I was trying to think too, of like some of the bad behaviors that I was, um, showing. It's kind of hard to say that though, because again, I feel like some of that could be just a regular teenager, like being really short, yeah, being you moody. Were so young. Yeah. I was also, when I would take my Adderall, normally without Adderall, I was very, I was, even though I was like in this way, I was still pretty like happy and fun. Still like at least my junior year when I took Adderall, it was like, I was a zombie. I was, and I liked that, that I was so focused because I did so well in school. And yeah. that's what I really, I think I needed to prove to myself at that time that like, when I do have this medication, which eventually wasn't great for me to be on, you know, in the long term, but I'm able to actually like do well in school, which I never could do. All of my sisters were so smart. They were also great study years, but they this excelled in school. I always struggled. I was never like never as good as them. Um, so I found I have my uh, journal that I had in rehab. And I was reading it today. Side note, <laughs> I was telling Alexis, the beginning of it is so like inspiring and beautiful and like, I'm so happy to be alive and great. And then like, I was, I was in treatment for quite a while, especially compared to all my friends. And at, towards the end, I was just ready to get out there. It turned so like sassy. It's like Gabby was reborn to this nice little girl. And then like 40 days in, she becomes like sassy again. And gets, like her personality. I'm getting my Good personality back. <laughs> I was just like reading through this, like, man, I was such a bitch with some of these girls. Like, wow. Um, but this was something I read that I was like, oh my gosh, this is just really crazy. Um, so we had gone to, when I was in treatment, we went to different like outside meetings. Um, so I said, we had my, we went to my favorite AA meeting tonight and I learned that I'm not unique in my addiction. A lot of other addicts have felt alone, unheard, and lost. 
I keep having drunk dreams and I wake up feeling horrible about myself. God, please pray that I use these dreams as a guide to stay away from dream bleh, as a guide to stay away from drugs and alcohol. Thank you for sobriety. So it was funny too, because I found the second journal first. So like the later one on, and I remembered that every, so I would journal every day in treatment and every day I would say some sort of prayer, like, please continue to help me stay sober, which uh-huh. I just think is interesting that I was, I was able to do that. You know, I, I'm very, and I don't say this to brag. I say this as like, it took such hard work. I've been able to stop drinking on November 5th, 2016 and, and stop there. I never went back to it, which right. is a very hard thing to do. And I know that because I went to AA meetings and NA meetings and people would say like, almost, it's very common to relapse. It's not out of the the normal kind of story. And I right. think that was me being like, I don't, I don't want that. Like I want, I remember saying, I want to go once. I don't want to go again. Like in ways it wasn't ever fun, but you get this community and it's like, you have this feeling of belonging at the same time. You have no say over anything. They have complete mm-hmm. control over you, which I learned I have a big issue with when I don't <laughs> have control, which is what I was doing. But, um, yeah, it was, I just, I read that and I was like, man, it's just crazy. It's crazy how different I am. Um, let's see. So the partying went on junior year. Like I said, it was really bad. Um, and then we eventually get to my senior year, which was literally the worst year of my life. Rightfully so. So the year started, everything was fine. I thought, and I made I made the worst decision of my life, which ended up being the best lesson I ever learned. And I want to make sure I say it like that because like, I don't regret what I did. I do, but I don't because it taught me such a greater lesson and it really was best case scenario for me. But I was under the influence and I drove and I got caught and I don't know how, but I never was upset that I got caught. I was actually always very grateful. Not really? that I, yeah, not that I ever wanted to stop drinking, but it instilled such a fear in me of it happening again. And like everything that I had to do, I mean, I had to pay like a thousand dollar in fines. I had a restricted license. I eventually lost my license for three years. I still have it on my record, which I actually could get it expunged, but I have to still do that. But I remember somebody in my life was trying to blame somebody else for it. Like, why didn't you stop her kind of thing? And I just remember, and I'm so proud of myself for doing this. I just owned it. And I'm like, nobody forced me to do this. Literally nobody. I chose to do this. I chose to potentially put my life at risk and other people's life at risk. And thankfully I got caught and I'm not, I don't do that anymore. And again, it didn't stop me from drinking, but I never drank and drove again. And so Mm -hmm. I really wanted to say that of while I have thoughts on police officers, the best thing that cop ever did was arrest me for what I did. So I'm very grateful for that. And I think that that's what I needed at the time to really just wake up and be like, so I think that was like my first strike, which I'll kind of get into (laughs) as the story goes on. Um, But yeah, I had so many consequences. Like I said, I had had to pay fines, didn't leave my house, couldn't hang out with friends, essentially the entire year. Um, I had more instances where my parents caught me with alcohol, um, specifically New Year's. I'm not blaming them for this because life happens and, you know, we, we make the decisions we do, but my parents left me home alone on New Year's. So for somebody who's struggling with substances, that was just, in my opinion, a very bad decision. 
And I found my way on alcohol and my parents, like, just imagine that you're a parent, you come home, your daughter has done one of the worst things ever. And you come home and you find her in the basement drinking alone at 17 years old. Like, I cannot imagine what my parents thought. I also just, that just reminded me of something in my physical this week. So I was with my doctor. Mm -hmm. My doctor's known me since I've moved here. So like 13 years, I think. And she told me a story and I think it was around this time. She thought it was a different time, but I don't think it was. And she said she was in New York and my mom called. My mom has had, of course, a great relationship with her. They're very close friends. (laughs) Not even surprised. Of course she has her like on speed dial. Yeah. Yeah. So she calls her and she was like, to to know that your mom is a therapist and specializes in addiction and she didn't even know how to help you was the most heartbreaking thing. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I really felt for my mom in that. Cause I think that, I mean, mother, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think <laughs> part of her, at least at some point held a lot of responsibility for that. And a lot of like, I should have seen it, but I do think I was really good at hiding it. Even though like Kayla saw all of it. Cause she was, you know, was in it with me. But we were so good at lying and like, it's not something I'm proud of, but like we really were like, we knew how to be sneaky. It was just really bad. And I think my it was really cool to hear my doctor be like, to see where you are now. And I remember in early sobriety to her being like, you have this, um, this stubbornness about you that you need to use with your sobriety. You need to keep that stubbornness. And I think I've always held on to that. And I've it's not like I've necessarily struggled to remain sober. It's not like I've had days where I'm like, oh my God, I really want to drink. But when I hear mm-hmm. stuff like that of like, you keep determined. your stubbornness. Yeah. It's like, gosh, like you're right. <laughs> right. Thank you. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> um, so that happened. Life went on. Um, I honestly think what really saved me in that moment that that year of my life, senior year was competitive cheerleading. We are, I definitely need to eventually talk about my experience with that because it was one of the most best emotional journeys of my life uh, in my relationship with my coach. But I, so the season started, I think in November. So I got in trouble in October, honestly, probably around this time. Like it's probably a couple oh, really? of, I think it, I was thinking about it and I'm like, I almost think it's it was your t- anniversary. Are you serious? Would, would that not be the, I am like going to somehow try to figure it out. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but I know it was October and I know it was like, that would be I know. crazy. I know. I was, I thought about that like a couple <laughs> hours ago. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, so competitive started the next season. So part of it, part of what happened with me getting in trouble was I couldn't walk, um, on the field senior year in my uniform. I had to wear like jeans and a sweatshirt cause I couldn't cheer the last, I got caught like kind of mid, mid to late season. Mm-hmm. So the last three games I couldn't cheer at. Wow. Um, and which- that was a school rule. Yes. Or, oh. Yeah. So they had like a, um, if you get any, in any kind of trouble, like you're, if you were in sports that those would be affected. It ended up working out because it was sideline cheer where I got caught in. And so then since I, you ha- I think it was like, you have to sit out a third of the season or something. Sideline is so short that I, those three games were third the of the third. season. So I didn't have to do that with competitive, which thank God. Cause that was the one I really liked, you know, more so. And I was really good at, but I, think the reason I even have confidence today is from competitive cheer from my coach, like in the team, there's just, there's so much good I can say, but I'm so grateful I had that to focus on. And I, that probably also helped me at least somewhat stay out of trouble. Obviously I still sometimes (laughs) at least a little bit, (laughs) but I had something to kind of, cause those, I mean, you are so in it. Like you're having weekly practices. We had more Wednesday morning practice, 6am. Can you imagine me working on 6am? I was forced to, and I did, and I loved it. We'd have like meets, we'd have Sunday, um, like where we'd have a 
trainer come in and we'd work on different, like we were committed. Our bodies were like dead because we were working out so hard. It was wild, but it was the best time of my life. Um, and then college, (laughs) (laughs) college Gibby, college Gibby was not a good girl. She, I'll say it. I went to college to get away from my parents because I wanted to go and party. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I went to a big party school. Shout out CMU. (laughs) Fire up chips. Um, But I had one goal in mind, and that was to party, which I did. And again, I could tell so many stories. Um, I think the main things were that I had, (laughs) this is so sad, I could not ask for help with anything. I had too much anxiety that I could not go to the um, you know, like the counselors you could go to to talk about your schedule yes. to switch things around. I literally didn't switch my schedule around freshman year because I had to, I couldn't go in there. Like I was too scared and my anxiety ruled everything. I couldn't go places. Like I just, I, it was so debilitating and it's like, I would miss a class and then I would have so much anxiety that I missed a class and then I'd miss the next class and then I'd get behind. And it was just like this avoidant, like I didn't deal with what I was feeling, all of these things too. And I should have mentioned at the very beginning, I lost, I actually said that in the first episode, I lost yeah. my dad when I was eight. This is all the whole, I believe the main reason why I developed this was because I never fully dealt with it. I didn't grieve him. I didn't like to cry or be vulnerable. I think that I thought I needed to have this like strong, like this, like the Taurus in me of like, I'm strong, like nothing gets me down. Even like when I found out the news about him, like I was eight and I did not cry. I literally was crazy. Yes. At eight years old, I was already numbing myself. And so it's just, it's crazy. I always think like, man, if I would have figured that out earlier, what would be, but at the same time, I don't really care because I just still think that I ended up exactly where I needed to be. And I I ended up figuring it out with a lot of help from a lot of people. (laughs) Um, but yeah, college was really bad for me to just share two stories without going into them. Um, I had one experience where I'm not laughing. This isn't funny, but to just know how wild I once was and how like reserved, not reserved, but like not like crazy like that anymore. Now I, um, got pushed into a beer pong table. Yeah. And I hit the corner. I probably had a concussion and needed stitches and just you were never just pushed into the table. Yeah. And it, I literally was bleeding everywhere. It was at a frat house for one. I will Gabriella. say the boy, the frat boys were so sweet though. Aww. It helped me out. There was this one that was so sweet. And yeah, like I kept drinking and partying. I did not let it <laughs> get me down. I'm bleeding at the school and I'm like, let's go for some more. Like oh that's what God. I'm talking about. I had, I, I thought in the moment, this is so much fun. Every single, almost every single time I drank, by the time I was probably like mid junior year, I blacked out. And that was the thing I thought everybody did. That was the crazy part that I eventually figured out is like, that's not what normal people do. We we call them normies, people that can drink normal. I did not do that. I did not realize that. Because I felt like some nights my friends were kind of getting a little crazy. So I think I just thought, oh, and I'm always, yeah, I'm always gone that I don't really realize it, but. Yeah, not good. Um, so at the end of my freshman year, oh God, I hate saying this because it's still so embarrassing, but I didn't go to class and I didn't study and I let my grades slip so bad that I could not go back second semester or second oh, year. I didn't even year. know that. I don't tell a lot of people that, but I told everybody I just didn't really know what I wanted to do, which is true. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I I literally like flunked out my freshman year because I didn't keep up with my grades. 
also, I remembered my, after the first semester, that's when I obviously did really bad. And Mm -hmm. I got a letter that was like, you can't come back unless you write this letter explaining what happened this semester. So whoa, I like submitted that probably like, and we had like a month off of school. I probably submitted it like first or second week of Christmas break. And I had to wait like two weeks to figure out if I was, and I was like about oh, to leave and I, no. I didn't tell my parents. I, I wouldn't have told them either. Nothing. And I'm like, okay. Like, and I, it ended up, I'm great at writing. I'm really good with words. So they <laughs> accepted me back and they were like, as long as you do this, you'll be fine. And, um, I thought I got past it because I, I, hit a lot for my parents. Like they would catch me on some things, but I was really good at being sneaky. sneaky. Well, um, one night my mom calls me. I don't ever answer my phone. This is probably why she calls me and I like probably ignored it. And she was, I was like, I know I lied and said, I'm at the library studying. That's what I'd always say, which I was never doing. <laughs> and she's like, no, you're calling me right now. And I'm like, I call oh, her and she's shit. like, we just got an email from the school that you just got accepted back in. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And it was oh, – there's many no. moments in my life, but that was, like, one of two moments where I truly think my parents absolutely hated me. They were just like, <laughs> oh, who no. that age did we raise? Like, this is – it was just the – like, again, none of my sisters got into any trouble, really. I mean, like, some of them had a couple things, but nothing like me. And all of these, like, awful things kept going on, me not realizing it's because I kept drink. Like, the drinking was the problem. That wasn't – I mean, it was other things too, but that was what was really like feeding it of this like avoidant, don't tell anybody, don't ask for help, like hide everything, don't deal with my emotions, stuff them down, then I would blow up, everything. It was just this tornado of a person. Um, So sophomore year, went to LMC, which was great for me, but I still kind of, you know, drank here. I mean, I still drank definitely. Um, I also want to mention that something I learned later on was there's different kinds of drinkers. So there's like the everyday drinker and I don't know all of them, but there's like the everyday, there's the one that can drink, but still be very successful. So like still like a high profile type of job. And there's also the binge drinker, which was what I was. So Mm -hmm. it's not like I drank every day, but when I drank, I drank to excess. I didn't know where, like, I didn't know how to stop. Big saying in recovery is one is too many, but a thousand is never enough. So it's like when you already have one for an addict that you're already, it's already too much because you're already kind of into that. Right. But a thousand at the same time, you'll keep chasing that, that drink because it's never going to, you're always going to be left feeling the way that you were when you started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, let's see, it was 2016. We'll go to that. Um, and my family, so one of my things I had written down was how did I stop? You know, how did I eventually give it up? And I, I didn't really. Um, I was nicely and respectfully so tricked home to we I was told that we were celebrating Thanksgiving early because one of my sisters couldn't come home for Thanksgiving. Um, and actually I have just have to give a little shout out. So the day before, so November fourth was when the Cubs won the World Series. Well, not when they won the World Series, when the parade was yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. And yeah. me I was and Michael <laughs> like went to that and we were just friends at that time. Like we oh, he had like you know, yeah. liked me and stuff, but such a great memory. And the funny thing too with that, so I went in for the day, Friday, and my family was like freaking out. Like, where, where, why are you going? Because I told them like last minute, like, yeah, I'm going to Chicago tomorrow. And they were like, because they all knew what they were planning, but they, you know. And um, we were supposed to drink all day. We like literally brought, like our friend's dad drove us out. Logan's dad drove us Aww. down. And we like had a bottle of something. <laughs> we were supposed to drink, but didn't drink at all the day, which is so interesting to me. Like the, my last like day of freedom, I didn't, didn't even drink. drink. I drank one glass of wine at dinner. Because then I get home and went to, I, we had dinner and my mom 
if she didn't offer me a glass of wine, it would have been weird, you know? So she's yeah. like, oh, do you want a glass of wine? And I think I was like, mm, sure. Like, I was almost like, oh, I guess, you know, like, as if, like, and not, like, trying to trick her, but just, I don't know, me being me, I guess. And yeah. <laughs> I woke up the next morning, and um, my sister was at my door, and she's like, you need to come downstairs. Something, something has happened. Now, I know you'll understand with me that that was, I thought someone died. I had, yeah, I would have thought the same thing. It was so scary, but also like, what are they supposed to say? So I go down there. Oh my gosh. I wish I had a picture of this because it was the most uncomfortable and scary scene to be walking into, but obviously it all worked out. I just see my living room with people and my, it's my family, but there's other people there too. There's my cheer coach. There's my high school guidance counselor, people that I know have like they we have like I have a relationship with them like a certain kind of relationship and I was like oh my god what is about to happen here I I didn't know what it was so I just sit down I thank god so my coach anxious. so anxious so I I can like remember it I don't remember anything anybody said but I can remember sitting there and thank god my mom said that my cheer coach should be there because Eventually, when I got to treatment, I was like, if my coach was ever there, I don't think I would have gone. Really? Like, when I saw her, she was just that person to me that I always called her my second mom. Like, she instilled this confidence in me, and she always made me believe in who I was, even when I didn't want to. And she just knew me so well, and I respected the hell out of her. Mm-hmm. Coach Jenna, I love you so much. Still to this day. <laughs> but when I saw her, I'm like, oh, my God, something bad has happened. So I just knew I needed – I don't know how I knew this. I'm very, like, into – signs <laughs> and a lot of signs this week that have been really cool. But in that moment, I knew I needed to shut up and listen. Like I just needed just to listen there. to what everybody said. It's going to suck. I cried the entire time. It was some of the hardest things they ever told me, but they were having an intervention for me is what mm-hmm. I ended up figuring out. So each person went around the room and told me they started off with how much they loved me and all these nice things. And then how I've hurt them. Because the thing that you don't really realize when you're an addict is yes, you're dealing with all this stuff alone you're affecting everybody else. You're affecting Mm -hmm. your friends. You're affecting your family. You are your family when you go out. And I was doing such reckless things that was like reflecting so poorly on my family that I can't even imagine. But I just knew I just need to shut up and listen. So they all went through and there was probably like 12 people there. I don't know, tons. And again, I'm hearing. And then they also had, I don't know if they said them, or if they didn't, but if, if I would have not said yes, they had like, there's a term for it where they would say, if if you don't, this is what's going to happen. So essentially what my mom told me was, Whoa, if you don't accept really? help, you, we will kick you out of the house. We will change the locks. We won't pay for anything to essentially kick me on the street, which mm-hmm. I needed to hear that. Like, yeah. I do think I've had this written down too. Every recovery journey is different. I also know somebody who their parents never did that. It took them a while to get sober, but they now have I think four years of sobriety. So I do think that like each family, you have to do what's best for yourself. But my family knew we cannot give her an out. I also knew that my family, I knew that certain people had so much dirt on me that I'm like, even if I tried to lie myself out of this, yeah, like I, I, I can't talk my way out of this. Sometimes I could in life. This was not a moment I could do that. And so the interventionist guy was just like, do you accept the help? And I remember I just like paused for a moment, probably took like 10 seconds because it is just was so much information and sadness and like all these people telling me these awful things that like have affected them. And I just was like, yes, nobody expected me to say yes. They all like, really? they were all terrified. Um, I don't know if I told you this part too. It was literally Kayla who she had seen. I mean, she had 
you know, dated somebody in my grade. So she hung out with us all the time. So she saw me doing what I was doing. And at first I think she was like, oh, whatever, it's fun. And then it got so bad. And I was doing such reckless things that she was just seeing. She didn't want to hang out with me. She would, you know, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like we are relation. That's another thing too. All my relationship with my family was so bad. My mom and I, we fought all the time. Like we never, I was so mean to her. I had the, like the worst attitude towards everybody, especially in the morning. I'm not a morning person, but I was a raging bee. Like it was just, it was bad. And Kayla was the one that saw me at a wedding and was like, this has got to end. Like you, you need help. And so she went against her better, not better judgment, but like she had to go against our relationship, which we are so deeply close and had to tell my mom, like, I'm really concerned about Gabby. I can, I tell her that like, I not recently, but I did tell her that when she told me all that, like, I cannot imagine what you had to have, like to have to do that to me in a sense that had to have been so hard because you don't know how I'm going to react at that time. My reactions were so off the wall and like dramatic that she was probably expecting me to like cuss her out and like, you know, just go completely AWOL. And I'm sure there was a part of me that wanted you to do it, but it, Oh, this is another thing. Sorry. All these kind of things keep popping in. So I'm probably being a little bit sporadic, but, um, I had a moment in October and I was up. Um, so my technically junior year of high school, high school, college, I went up to where I went to school, but I went to their community college and like okay. lived with my roommates that I had known my freshman year. And sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, college, October, October, I was laying in my bed. And at this point, I, my situation was so bad that I would stay up all night having nerves and anxiety and depression go to bed at like 6 a.m. and then sleep to like 2 or 3 p.m. And it was the most depressing. I couldn't stop. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't go to class. I wouldn't do homework. And I remember laying in bed one night and not knowing what was going. Again, I never really knew what was going on until I had to go to treatment. But like I remember just praying like whatever it is that's wrong with me, I need it to go. I need it to get fixed. I either need to like end up in the hospital. Something dramatic has to happen to me in order for me to stop to, to have a better life. Like I remember yeah. feeling that. So then when literally less than a month later, I go to treatment. It's like, okay, there was my There's answer. Prayer. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, whoever is up there <laughs> universe. Um, so yeah, I went off to treatment in Florida and I guess I can talk a little, I mean, how long are we at? I'm probably like, okay. Well, it's not terrible. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I go to treatment those I wrote down like a day in the life in treatment. So it's kind of like, a, I'm going to try to like quickly describe this because again, I could go into it, but there's like a color system. So when you start your red, which means they're kind of watching you because people go into treatment that do drink every day. So when they would ask you, like when they take your vitals, show me your hands. I remember being like, okay, like in my hands, they didn't say anything. <laughs> people that are detoxing, they're shaking because mm-hmm. you know, they're withdrawing didn't realize that at the time, but I thought that was crazy. So red, they're still kind of monitoring you, making sure, you know, you're okay. So you couldn't exercise, which as you know, is my form of anxiety release. Yeah. Yeah. Therapy, meditation. So at my first couple of journal entries, it's so funny. I'm just like, I just need to work. I was able to work out today. I'm so happy. Like I was just like itching to just walk or something because you're so closely monitored. You can't like, it's this weird, like can't leave. You could leave, but then you're walking on the street, you know, yeah, lots of anxiety all tied into all of that. Um, 
And then as you go on, also like how your insurance, how good your insurance is, you stay in certain colors. And as the colors progress, you get more responsibilities. So they're kind of like okay. slowly trying to teach you how to survive in the outside world. So once you're done with red, you move to a new floor, you have a roommate, again, a little bit more responsibilities. Once you go green or wait, blue, you move to apartments. So you kind of like slowly learn about that, like keeping clean, doing all these. And you're like going to all these classes. Um, you do a meeting a day. There's group therapy. Oh my gosh, group therapy. Let me just say anybody who has any sort of something, group therapy is one of the most insanely like powerful things I've ever done because the things that I admitted, like the, again, I'm not comfortable saying it today. I'll just tell you after, but (laughs) maybe in the future, like there was one thing I was so scared to admit and I did. And thinking that people would kind of just be like, oh, and like multiple people turned to me and they were like, Gabby, me too. Hearing me too, like I've been there. I always thought I was like, nobody else dealt with this. Like I'm alone. I didn't even realize there's all these people out there just like me that have had these same sort of fears, insecurities, like whatever it is that they're dealing with. And so group therapy for me just really showed that like, I can say this thing. And that's, again, a reason for me to share my story is like, I can tell people this thing about me Mm -hmm. and make hopefully someone, whether it's you or someone, you know, give them a little bit of clarity of like, it's okay. You know, like there's other people out there that are struggling too. Um, Okay, so I have my journal from day one that I thought would be kind of interesting to share. There's a, at the end of it too. There's a really funny looking back now um, entry that I, I have to just talk about really quick. Okay, my first day here and the first moment, moment, the first <laughs> moment I was alone, I cried on and off for thirty minutes. The fact I'm twenty years old and already going through treatment is embarrassing and sad. I always knew I had a problem, but I didn't think it was a big deal. I also thought nobody ever noticed. I have a very loving and supportive family, but I have three sisters. I'm the middle child, and for a big part of my life, I always felt forgotten. I felt like I came last. I would never blame my parents for that. I can't imagine raising four girls who are all close in age. But of my three sisters, I'm the quietest and most shy. I also felt like I never measured up to them. They're all smart and determined. I always did and still do feel well, not currently, but this at this time I did. <laughs> I did feel like the dumb sister. I know I have gifts and I know I'm not dumb, but when compared to them, that's how I felt. I think back to my freshman year of college when my partying got excessive. I started out fine, but slowly started to slip into depression. I would skip classes, not turn in my homework. My parents would text and ask how are classes going, and I'd respond with, they're going great, even though that was a lie. I thought if I appeared to be fine, they would believe me, and they did. And again, I'm not blaming them for my issues. I was very good at hiding it. I just wish I never developed this issue. My problem isn't that I drink every day. It's that when I drink, I almost always black out. I can't remember the last time I fully remembered a night. Just writing that brings tears to my eyes. How did I get to this place? What caused me to abuse alcohol in this way? Mm, This part. (laughs) I know how disappointed my dad would be if he were still alive. Since he was an alcoholic and addict as well. So I know he knows what I'm going through. Ooh. (laughs) Read that a couple times and it still makes my nose. uh, Me too. (laughs) A little tissue. (laughs) Um, I've been warned my entire life to be grateful. Grateful. To be careful with alcohol. (laughs) Because I have history of it. 
in my family. I never thought I would misuse it to the point of getting admitted into a treatment facility. Now, this is the, like the funny part that I ever said this. Again, the level of naivety, if that's even a word, is just insane. My goal from this experience is to learn how to manage alcohol. I want to be able to drink one glass of wine and be fine with it. So much funny about that, which I'll say in a second. <laughs> I don't want to have the urge to drink to blackout. I want my family to trust that I'll behave at weddings and events where alcohol is served. All in all, I want to be somebody my family is proud of. I want to inspire them and prove to them that I can overcome this addiction. I know I can, and I know I will. So the part about the wine is so funny to me that I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to treatment to learn how to drink responsibly. Oh, my gosh. I even told the doctor that. The one doctor... Um, I forgot what they were asking because they, they obviously, when you, when you get there, they're, they're testing you for different like things, you know, if like, like they even test you for like STDs oh, wow. and like your blood levels and everything to make sure. I think if I remember right, everything was fine with me because it was a pretty, luckily a pretty short window of, um, like abuse of substances. But I remember them asking me like, well, what's your goal? And I'm like, well, I just want to learn how to drink just like a glass of wine at night. just just one. And the doctor was like, what if you just like, don't drink at all? And I was just like, oh, it's so funny. Like, no, that's not why I came <laughs> that's here. That's not me. <laughs> and I know, and I'll have to like read through my, my journal. I'm sure I eventually was like, oh, I guess I have to not ever drink again. And that was so hard for me to come to terms with. And that same doctor I was talking with, like, I just, I can't imagine not going one year without drinking. And they said to me, just take it one day at a time, which is something so ingrained in my head because everybody in treatment says that one day at a time. And it's so true. Like when I did it one day at a time and I eventually did get one year, it was like, oh, now I'm at six, you know, I'm at six years six, now. So yeah. it's like when you look at it smaller, sometimes it just it tricks you into doing it. And that was, that was really funny. Like, oh yeah, just one glass. <laughs> Boy, did I not know. Um, one thing I kind of talked about earlier too was relapsing. And I don't want to say that people need to, or like, people should relapse because obviously you don't want that. I do think that sometimes people need to do things a couple times to figure out whether they can do it or they can't. And the reason why I think that I didn't relapse was one that my family was so behind me. Like they, the first year of Thanksgiving, they didn't even, my, you know, my cousin, Linda, huge winos. They didn't even have alcohol. They didn't have anything like, and then they kind of like dragged that on for a while, which of course I respected and loved a certain point. I'm like, okay, you guys, like, I'm good with it now. You can, now it feels weird that you're not drinking. Because yeah. I know you guys all want wine. Like, it's fine. I'm good with it now. But, like, they all got behind me. Support, And I know that that's, that is not everybody's story. Like, it's I had enough. friends that would be like, it's going to be really hard for me to say sober because my family are all alcoholics, too. Like, you also have that. Mm-hmm. of people Like, alcoholism is, is a disease, and it's also hereditary. Like yeah. I said, my dad had it. Other people in my life had it, too. My kids could have it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's also interesting that I had it. None of my sisters did, you know, like it yeah. doesn't mean just because your parents had it, you'll have it. But it's also interesting to note of how easy it is to get addicted to it. They say like, it's just a flip of a switch. Like you just, whatever, however you view it. And I think since I viewed it as a, let me forget, it was just so destructive versus if I would have been like, oh, it's when we have fun or like casually, it would have been a different story. But obviously I didn't know how to do that. <laughs> and so I think my first strike was like my first quote relapse, even though, again, I was still drinking through this time was getting in trouble. And it was like, I don't ever want to do that again. And then mm-hmm. the second one was college because there was another, there was multiple times, but for sure, like towards the end of my freshman year, I don't know what happened, but I woke up and I had cuts and bruises 
everywhere. I think I fell downstairs or something. I remember I showered. My body was just inflamed. Like I was just sobbing because I had, it hurt so bad. I don't know. There was rug burns everywhere. Like I truly should have died. I truly don't sometimes know how I didn't do that because these things just kind of slowly kept happening. Mm -hmm. I'm sure my friends were like, we don't know what to do for because they didn't have a problem. Like they were you know, they were having fun and like, you know, being kids and drinking, but not what I was doing. So I, right. I'm sure they were just like, is Gabby uh, okay? Like, <laughs> we need to call someone. <laughs> um, we also watched a movie in treatment called When Love is Not Enough, um, which anybody out there who maybe you are dealing with somebody, whether it's spouse, sibling, parent who has um, an addiction, it's very eye-opening for both people, for both the addict and then the partner. So it's a... Um, I think it's Lois Wilson, if I remember it right. And I believe she was the wife. Her husband was an alcoholic. And it's kind of the start of um, Alcoholics Anonymous mm-hmm. and just kind of what she was seeing. And I believe, you know, her husband was like in the war and stuff. So there's all these things and money and all these things that kind of led to his addiction. But it's really beautiful how they did it. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, they did another movie. Maybe, maybe I'm confusing it with. That one is her perspective, and there's another one with his perspective. Oh. But it's very interesting how – I mean, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is a really, like, eye-opening movie, especially to people that are in that situation or whether – because a thing, too, is obviously, you know, most, if not, you know, a lot of addicts go to support groups, but also families can. So if, like, you have a fa- – if you, you're not the um, addict and you have, like, a sibling or something, it's called um, the Alano House, and that's where you go and you get support. For, you know, it's, like, the same thing, but – with how you support that person in your life that's I struggling. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I didn't know that until <laughs> until treatment. So I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, so something I did after rehab, which I know that not everybody financially and logistically could do this, but I remember them encouraging it so hard was an intensive outpatient treatment or intensive outpatient. Maybe it's just that, IOP. Basically three days a week, three hours a day each day of therapy, like intensive therapy. Like seven days a week? Three days a week. Three so I think it was like okay. Monday, Wednesday, Saturday or something. And it was three hours. And I actually, so someone my mom knew through being a, a therapist, I think it was his very first IOP. And I was like patient number one or whatever, Whoa. which was cool. Yeah. She really reached out to him and be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah. um, but I did that and that was so... I mean, I, I, I can't really fully remember, but it was just a lot of like different exercises. I mean, you work with a therapist too. I did some like EMDR, eye movement. Oh, I should not even try to say the the things right now, but no. basically um, refocusing your brain and like re, how would you say that? Like re, um, like if you have, so for instance, I actually did it when I was having trouble throwing my back tuck. I had a fear of throwing it. So it's kind of just like working you out of like a, a block, like some sort of like block and restruct, restructuring, restructuring is what I was trying to say. Um, but IOP was such a great position for me. So even if – because some people like couldn't go if they had kids or they couldn't go to another place, still look for a place in your area because I truly think that's probably why I stayed sober and didn't relapse because I had wow. – again, like I went through all of this therapy and over two months of treatment and then – basically right into therapy again. So it was just like this, I needed all of it. I learned so much and, and got so much from it. Um, also, I had forgotten this too. I was going through my bin today. My mom wrote me a letter every single day. Every day? She would send me like a pack of 10 and then be like, each day, like open a new one, oh. which was really supportive. I know. I'm like, oh, mom, you're so cute. <laughs> um, 
Mint journal. Oh, wait. Oh, I had another. Was it in here that I wanted to read? Or no, I already read that, didn't I? Yes, I did. Um, I thought that I had something else. Sorry, I'm like all squirreling all over the place. Um, my treatment journal. So another thing that was interesting about that is as my journal entries went on, I was like <laughs> praying for little people in um, my treatment center. I think there was like 40 girls maybe. So it was co-ed, but we were not. So not, it wasn't co-ed. It was, there was a girl's wing and a boy's wing, but we were never together, which I will say I recommend to every single person because I met friends in treatment that said they got into a lot of trouble when it was co-ed because Uh-oh. there's lots of things that you can get distracted with, which I will say that also happened with an all girls treatment. I mean, too, I was going to say you know it could go either about. way. Yeah. <laughs> so there actually was that, that I witnessed like two girls in a relationship, which they do not recommend. Oh, that's something I should talk about. Dating and recovery. This is really fun. So this is kind of like the last thing I guess I'll share because the last couple of things are basically everything I've talked about. Um, and if anybody wants me to say more on another, a future episode, please again, write it and then let us know. But they're very fond of, it's very interesting when you go to treatment because you kind of go and everybody's telling you what you should be doing. So it's kind of this, like, when do I start making my own decisions? And I, I do get it in a sense because you've done these things in your life and it's affecting everybody and you don't really know which way is up, but then there kind of comes a point where you want to, you know, make your own decisions. And so before, so they say one rule they say is like no dating and recovery. So my family was like, Gabby, for one year, like you are, you, you cannot date anybody. Like you're not allowed to, it was almost like since, People in recovery say that, like, I have to just listen to it, which again, I get it now looking back, but in the time it was like, like, why not? Like, yeah. yeah. And the thing that was, thank God was special with my situation is I wasn't dating somebody before, but I was, I had this like weird relationship with somebody before. And so (laughs) another thing that they said, I had a loophole, I had a loophole because another thing they said was, if you are in a relationship, don't break up for a year. So it was like this weird gray area of do, because I like didn't know I liked this person. And then eventually <laughs> found out from getting sober and everything. Actually, my third journal entry I found it was literally talking about it. Yeah, it's really oh. cute. Maybe I'll read it one day. But um, we were kind of already in something. And so my family was so mad when I was like, sorry, we have to explore it. Like the rules say, no, like, I have a year. <laughs> and it, you know what? good the good thing is it worked out because that's my husband yeah the boy I'm talking about so it all worked out but um the last little part I think I just want to say is like I've said a little through this is every recovery story is different and I think that person a might do a b and c to stay sober and person b might do e f and g sorry <laughs> I really had to think that through I wish I could have <laughs> like quizzical like wait a minute. but my one thing that I frustrated me at times was that people thought that since this person's recovery looks this way, I should just emulate everything like that. And mm-hmm. I do get that. What I'm kind of trying to get at is I am six years in almost, and I currently don't go to AA meetings. I have no issue with them. I loved them in Florida and I loved them in Arizona. Arizona is where I did my IOP. I don't know if I mentioned that. And there is nothing wrong with the ones where we live. 
it's just a very different group. Whereas like where I went, it was younger, you know, and I was super young to be getting sober. 20 years old is extremely young. The majority of people were like mid thirties getting sober uh-huh. the first time, you know? So like out there, it was big Arizona. The recovery is so booming. Like so many younger kids. Like I remember there was a girl who was 14, 14 had like a couple wow. years. Yes. Like amazing stories like that. And it's just, we live in a small town where it's even just the numbers, not even it's just hard. the people. Cause I love, like, I don't need a, like a age group. Like I can basically talk to anybody. My best friend in treatment was 65 years old. Marsha, I love you I so love much if you're there. <laughs> like, I don't have an issue with that, but it just, it was just a different vibe. And I would go. And again, anybody who loves AA or any type of support group, go to it. Cause if that's what works for your recovery, you should do that. I just was noticing that it was almost like I was forcing myself to do it. And I, yes, I was like getting stuff from each time. But I always, I don't know. I just, I think I thought like, I don't know if I needed to do this the way that other people do. For like, for instance, my sponsor, mm-hmm. I think she goes to like three to four meetings a week and that works great. She has 36, 37 years. That's another thing. I have a great sponsor too. I should say that. Yeah. That's another important part. But I think not everybody needs to do that. I think that there's just different ways that you can stay sober. And I was able to figure out what that was for me. And I think that that's great. And I think that other people will have other things that they do. So I just want to make that very, you know, noteworthy of everyone's journey is a little bit different. And some people might be able to do this. Other people don't. But with that being said, though, when I was joking earlier about like, oh, like learn how to drink one glass of wine when it comes to that. And it's like, well, maybe I'll try to like casually drink again. That's where you can come into the issues of I've like, I've never wanted to test that theory, but I have thought about it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I just know, even if it, if it was true and I was able to do it, I don't want to test it. I'm very happy with where I am. I know that my skin is going to age so great. I know that like my, what is it? My liver? Is that what? I always forget. Liver? Is it liver? Okay. It'll be so happy my whole, like, and when I go to my physical and I can mark never for drinking, it's like, (laughs) I did that. I did that. Yes. But that's basically the long hour and one minute of, of my recovery journey. So that's basically it. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you. And I'm proud Thank that you. you told your story on our podcast. Thank you. Um, yeah. Like if anybody has any questions, feel free to message us on Rope Time. We could do another episode. Yeah. Um, what else? We- Maybe... For next episode, we need to do something a little happier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll throw in a I mean, happy one in there. Yeah. It's fun to do both. But, um, but yeah, thank everybody for listening. And thank you. I hope everybody took a little something from it. So Ooh. we'll see you in a week. See ya. <laughs>